I am sorry, I forgot to do this first. Totally slipped my mind last month or last week. I was so excited to jump into the covenants that we didn't take a moment to do this. And so allow me today to pretend that we didn't cover, you know, the law of obedience. Because I think it's so important that we understand the setting that Heavenly Father emphasizes the setting in which he gives us covenants. It is critical to make this connection tonight. If, if this is the only lesson you remember from this series, I'll feel really good because it is critical that we understand that our covenants are made in this setting. And it took me a long time before the light finally went on and I understood the significance of cherubim and the flaming sword. And I don't want it to take as long for you as it took for me. So allow me to just get right to it. One of the most misunderstood doctrines and one of the greatest gifts of the restoration is kind of wrapped up in the symbolism of cherubim, which is plural, and the flaming sword. So let's jump there. I'm going to introduce it by pointing out, well, let me ask the question, what was Satan doing in the garden? What was Satan doing in the garden? Isn't it odd to you? Doesn't it, don't you find it unusual that Heavenly Father would emphasize Satan in the garden, in our temples? This really has nothing to do with Satan. It has everything to do with what he was trying to accomplish. And most people don't understand what he was trying to accomplish because Satan's plan was a two-parter. His plan was part A and part B. This is his plan in, in the Garden of Eden. This isn't his, I'll be the Redeemer. This is his plan in the Garden of Eden. He had two parts. And now he is going to be stopped from doing part B. The Lord is going to allow him to do part A. The Lord is going to let Satan do part A but stop him from doing part B. Now, the world doesn't know what part B was because it never occurred. And because it never occurred, what then is the world under the assumption that his plan was in Garden of Eden? Because they don't know about part B and they only know that he accomplished part A, they assume that part A was Satan's plan. And if it's Satan's plan, then it's bad. And it couldn't have been God's plan. And that's the misunderstanding. Part A was very much in line with Heavenly Father's plan. And so the Lord didn't stop it. It was a little too early. That's a subject for another day. But part A doesn't alter the plan. Part B does. And because of that, he did not allow part B. Therefore, everyone outside of the restoration assumes that that was part, that was bad. It was not bad. It was part of the plan all along. So we've got to understand this doctrine to understand Heavenly Father's purposes, not Satan's purposes. We have to understand Heavenly Father's purposes. So, what was Satan's plan? Satan's plan part A 
was to get them to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, because the world doesn't know he had a part B, the world assumes that tempting them to partake was bad. But the plan all along was to partake. Now, I'm going to walk on sensitive ground. I don't want to overstep, but I do want to open your eyes to something. So allow me to speak in code. The problem, what, what, part B, what part A was, was to partake before its time. That was the problem. That's what Adam and Eve did wrong. It's not that they partook. It's that they partook before it was time. Imagine, now here's my analogy. Imagine I baked a pie for my children. And I said to my children, don't eat it yet because there's some instructions I need to give you. And then I left. Don't eat the pie because I need to give you some instructions. There's nothing wrong with the pie. But I need to give you some instructions before you eat it. And then I leave. And then let's suppose that my, my oldest son, who was at home, dished up the pie and handed it out and told everyone that it was okay to eat it. And they ate it. And then I came home and said, what have you done? And my son says to me, I gave them the pie. That was the plan. I gave them the pie. Well, he shouldn't have given them the pie, right? He's not the one to give them the pie. And I had intended to give some more instructions before they ate the pie. So I punish my son, right? Now, imagine if my son got mad that he was punished. If my son got mad that he was punished, what does that tell me? Now, I need you to think. Everyone understand where I'm at? Everyone making the connection? If my son got mad that he was punished, but he did the same thing that I would have done, and I had done so many other times, if he got mad that he was punished, then what does that suggest? I'm going to say it a hundred times. I need a light to go on. If he got mad that he was punished, what would that suggest? Someone else did the same thing and wasn't punished. Which would suggest that in other worlds, with other other. Adams and Eves. What happened? Pluck, pluck, eat. That was the plan all along. To hand them the fruit and they eat and they begin mortality. With all of its consequences, being kicked out of his presence and everything that that means. But I would suggest that in this particular case, 
the temptation was to partake before it was time. There's the transgression. It's not time yet. Let me give you an analogy. Hold on one second. I'm coming to you, Jensen. Let me give you an analogy, okay? I'll use CJ. True or false, CJ is under the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth. True or false, do you all believe that she still has been commanded to multiply and replenish the earth? And she's doing a horrible job at it. (laughs) She is doing a horrible job at it. I have produced 10. But CJ is doing a horrible job at it. Now, no one has a problem with her contradiction. Why is she not obeying the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth? Because she's been given another commandment that says, don't do the act that would allow her to do this. Do you see the same contradiction that existed in the garden? Do this. Here's the primary commandment, but don't do the very thing that would allow you to do that. She's under the same situation, but no one has a problem with that contradiction because why? You know it's simply a matter of timing. That eventually that second commandment would turn into, uh, okay, go ahead. Now, do you see what Satan's plan was? Tempt them to partake before it's time. But the sin was not in partaking. That was eventually going to be the plan. If my son got mad because he got in trouble, that would suggest that someone else did it and didn't get in trouble. The only person who could have done that and not gotten in trouble is the father. Therefore, I would suggest that the plan was to eventually have them partake, but not at that moment. And so the temptation was, do it now because he wanted to do this. But because the world doesn't know this, what do they assume? That that was bad and that was not. That was part of the plan all along. Jensen. So this this all makes sense. I was just looking at 2 Nephi 2 and I'm just wondering if there's like scriptural context Here's the challenge. The only scriptural, the only context we have is temple. So Heavenly Father says, all right, I'll put some answers in the scriptures and I'll put some answers in the temple covenant and you've got to put them together. This is one of those where the only piece of the puzzle that kind of answers this is in the temple. I cannot point to a single scripture other than the common situation we're all in. It is. It is. And what the Book of Mormon does is it clarifies what this is. And once we understand what part B is, we understand that this was not going to be the problem. He would not have allowed it had it not been something that was going to happen anyway. B is what destroyed the plan. So we all clear? Satan's plan was get them to partake of the, knowledge of tree, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil before it was time. Now they've transgressed. Now they've done something wrong. And then this was the part that would have destroyed everything. This would have destroyed Jesus and everyone in the plan. So what was B? 
I'm going to let the Book of Mormon tell you so that I'm not the answer. The Book of Mormon's the answer. Okay, and I hope you can appreciate the value of the restoration in the fact that we know what his part B, we know what his plan B was because we have the Book of Mormon. All right, so I need you to find Alma 12 and Alma 42. I want to show you both of these. I want you the repetition to show you that, see, this is a repeated idea in the Book of Mormon. Alma chapter 12 and Alma chapter 42. Now, Alma chapter 12 is kind of like um, Zeezrom and Antionum are contending against Alma and Amulek. Now, chapter 11, Amulek taught about the resurrection and that we'll live forever in an eternal state. And the trap here is Antionum, is it? It's Antionum, right? Antionum says, uh, uh, wait a minute. Didn't God put cherubim and the flaming sword in front of the tree of life so that they wouldn't live forever? But the, so the setting is, I'm trying to trap you. Amulek just taught that we're going to be resurrected and live forever, but God didn't want us to live forever, and that's why he put cherubim and the flaming sword. Two very different lived forevers. Two very different, but he's trying to trap the prophet and combining them into one. So Alma chapter 12, and let me pull it up so we can read it together. Can you explain the trap again? Amulek just taught that we're going to be, Alma chapter 11, the resurrection, body and spirit shall be reunited, never to be separated again. So Amulek just taught that we're going to live forever. And the trap here is, wait a minute, didn't God put cherubim and the flaming sword in front of the tree of life so we don't live forever? That's not the plan. Living forever is not the plan. And you just said it was the plan. You're just trying to trip up a prophet. All right, Alma. Sorry. Let me get this ready. Alma chapter 12. Okay, let's get to Antionum's question. It's Antionum. Antio is it? It's, it's A-H at the end. Okay, Antiona. Antiona. Okay, so... There's Alma chapter 11, now we get into chapter 12, and we see, okay, verse 22. Now Alma, no, uh, 20, here it is, Antiona, thank you. And there was one Antiona, who was a chief ruler among them, came forth and said unto them, What is this that thou hast said, that man should rise from the dead and change from this mortal to an immortal state, that the soul never die? Wait a minute, what does the scripture mean which saith God placed cherubim in the east of the Garden of Eden, lest our first parents should enter and partake of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever? See the trip up? That's what, that's what critics of prophets often do. And thus we see that there was no possible chance that they should live forever. Okay, two totally separate doctrines, but let me talk about that doctrine. Now, Alma said unto him, this is the thing which I was about to explain. We see that Adam did fall by partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, according to the word of God. And thus we see that by his fall, all mankind became a lost and a fallen people. Now, here we go. You tell me if you can see part B. Ready? Now I say, now behold, I say unto you that if it had been possible for Adam after partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, 
to have partaken of the fruit of the tree of life at that time, there would have been no death. Now, consequence number one, what does Satan do? Consequence number one, if he rushes them over and they partake of the tree of life immediately in their transgression. All right, consequence number one, who's he, who does he take out? Who would Satan have taken out of the plan? God himself. Because if that had been possible, there would have been no death and the word would have been void, making God a liar. For he said, if thou shalt eat, thou shalt surely die. So Satan's plan number one is let's get God out of the picture. Let's remove God from being God by turning him into a liar. Now that is not the major consequence, but that's a pretty big one. We've removed, he, Satan would have successfully, successfully removed God having turned him into a liar. But now pause in chapter 40, 12 and go to 42. Alma chapter 42, this is now Corianton. This is Alma to his wayward son, Corianton, who's worried about sin and transgression and all of that. So Alma chapter 42, we're going to keep, keep Alma 12. We're going to come right back, but go to Alma 42. All right, verse 5, picking it up, that same idea. If Adam had put forth his hand immediately and partaken of the tree of life. So do you see what part B was? Let's entice Adam and Eve to partake before it's time. And then let's rush them over and have them partake of the tree of life and turn back into that immortal state with their transgressions. So now they're immortal with transgressions. Now tell me what Satan would have successfully accomplished had he done that. What does he take away? He takes away, he, he, he's going to take away the atonement because Jesus can't atone. But what does he take away from us? Listen, look at this. Having no space for repentance. He would have taken away what? Satan would have successfully taken away what we call, let's go back to verse 4. Our probationary state. He would have taken away time to learn and to grow and to screw up. <coughs> God intended us to have time to learn and grow and make mistakes. What Satan would have accomplished is he would have taken away the space God intended us to have to repent. Therefore, let's, let's draw it this way. Here is the tree of knowledge. Now, in my case, when do I partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? When do I partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and start my mortal existence? Birth. 
when do I partake of the tree of life? Not death. I need to understand that. I'm going to shout that a hundred times. I do not partake of the tree of life when I die. I partake of the tree of life when? When do I become immortal? Resurrection. Resurrection. Which means God has granted me a space between those trees. And I love the language here. Let's go back to verse 4. I'm going to emphasize it here. Let me highlight it. I think this is one of the, I think this is a critical uh, word. God granted me time to repent. God granted me a time to repent. Now, somewhere, well, let me get to that in a minute. I just want to emphasize this. I want to let this settle on you. There was a time, and I love this word, granted. The reason he stopped him, the reason cherubim and the flaming sword are so significant is what do they symbolize? I will not let anyone take away your time to repent. I won't let anyone take that away. He has granted us time. And I love this word, probationary time. We need to define that because here in the United States, that has now come to have a negative meaning. If I'm on probation, it means I'm coming out of prison and I have to prove that I'm good enough to live in society. And that's the opposite. Let me give you another probation. When you are hired by a company, you are granted a time to learn. I once got a job and when I was hired and went through training and then started the job, the term this company used was, I was in nesting. I was a little bird in a nest. Now, there were things that would get you instantly fired at that company. Legal things. And they were easy to do. But while you were nesting, guess what? You couldn't be fired. That's a probationary state. It's a time when you're learning and you're growing and you know you're going to make mistakes. And we're willing to grant you. My company was willing to grant me time to learn and grow and not be fired because of it. And that's what this life is. Let's go back to Alma chapter 12 and notice how it came up, that same idea. Thus we see that there was a time granted unto man to repent. Go back to chapter 12. Alma 12, notice the very next verse, the verse that we didn't read. We read 23. If Adam had been able to partake of the tree of life, it would have ruined the plan by taking God out. And thus, here's the end thus. And thus we see the death which hath been spoken upon Amulek, which is the temporal death. Nevertheless, there was a space. Notice the repetition here. There was a space granted unto man 
in which he might repent. What's assumed here? If you have time to repent, what's assumed there? That you made a mistake. God has granted us this life as a place where we knowingly are going to make mistakes and not be fully punished for them. I'm going to let you grow. I have granted you time to grow. Now, I have a theory. Ready? Here's my theory. You want to hear my theory first, Jensen? Yes. Okay. I have a theory. This one didn't happen, right? He was not allowed to bring about part B. So I think he has a new part B. When he couldn't remove all of our probationary states, if he can't remove all of ours, what's the next part? What's, 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 what's plan B1? I'm going to come after each one of you and suggest to your head that you have to be perfect. And I'm going to get you to take away your probationary state. I'm going to convince each one of you to not grant yourself time to make mistakes. Tell me just what happened in that head of yours. <laughs> He's good at it, isn't He's he? He's really good at it, yeah. I guarantee every person in this room, your biggest anxiety is that you have had crippling thoughts of not being enough. Because he has successfully suggested what to you? That you have to be perfect today. Therefore, what should you grant yourself? Space. Expectation. A realistic expectation is that my life is never, was never intended to be perfect. And that I am supposed to make mistakes and learn from them and grow. That is exactly why he stopped Satan. To me, that's what cherubim and the flaming sword represent. That he wouldn't let Satan take it away. So why am I? Why am I allowing those thoughts to suggest that I have to be perfect? And that people around me have to be perfect. I can't marry you. You're not perfect. And we don't grant it to each other. And we're harsh and we're horrible and we're cruel to ourselves. And we're unforgiving of other people. When God intended this life to be a probationary state. Jensen first. So, how does this align with the brethren and the scriptures counseling us to not delay the day of your repentance? Like, how does this align like, with like this life? Uh, can I do that in two minutes? Yes. Uh, you've heard the we've we've done grace for grace for grace, right? I almost wonder if it's just like counsel against apathy, like because. I can get to the point where I lose the light necessary to change. 
And so it's a warning. Don't let yourself get to the point where it's too hard to come back. Um, I don't think that's fully possible in this life. And that's a subject I could show you in the scriptures another day. But I think the warning is you can get to, I don't think Satan could come back. Because I don't think he has enough light left in him to make those changes. But was there a moment where he had enough light that he could have made those changes then? So don't procrastinate the day because that same spirit that has power to possess your bodies is going to go with you. Now, can you change in the spirit world? Can you do an about vase in the spirit world? Of course you can. But what's what's natural? To just keep heading down the path. So there's the alignment is to say, look, you have been granted space to repent. But you're on a path that's going to make it harder and harder and harder to do so. So do it earlier rather than later. See that harmony between the two? Something I learned on my mission when Mishpur told me is like, um, we give Satan too much power in our brains. Yeah. And our minds are a very powerful place. And a lot of times we give Satan up. Just to weave, weave his way in there and tell us, look, you're not good enough. I can show you that with your past mistakes. And instead of us blocking it, we take it in an account and we accept and write it down. Can I show you something fascinating? What will bind Satan in the millennium? It's not Satan is physically bound. It's not that someone puts a chain around Satan. What will bind Satan in the millennium? According to Nephi, what will bind Satan in the millennium? We stop giving him power. We stop giving him room in our heads and in our hearts. That's what will bind him, not because of a chain, but because we just stop allowing him to have any success in that, inside us. So Nephi says, because of the righteousness of his people, Satan is, it has no power. We have taken his power away because we've been the one granting it to him all along. So stop granting it to him. God intended me to have a probationary state where I'm not expected to be perfect. I'm not going to let him suggest otherwise. Grant yourself a probationary state and stop beating yourself up with toxic perfectionism. Can I ask you, which Bryce Dunford is God going to judge? Is God going to judge the 16-year-old? No. The 20-year-old? No, thank goodness. (laughs) He's not even going to judge the 54-year-old Bryce Dunford. Which Bryce Dunford is God going to judge? Ivy, the one standing in front of him on judgment day. So in what sense will he judge the 16-year-old? There is a sense in which he will judge the 16-year-old. What is it? Did the mistakes I make at 16 change me and lead me to the path that became the man that stands in front of him on that day. What if I did something horribly wrong when I was 16, but I learned from it and I grew and I changed. And when I stand before him on judgment day, there is no semblance of that mistake in me. Do you see what God granted me? 
Learn from it. And stop beating yourself up that you did it. Can I give you two scriptures that mean the world to me and allow me to just beat them over your head until they finally get through that thick skull? Let me convince you that God has granted you a probationary state with his own words. First, the allegory of Zenos, the, tr- the, the olive tree that sometimes produces bad fruit, and then he works on it so it produces good fruit. We are that tree. I know collectively, but individually we are that tree. So turn with me to Jacob 5, because we've lost the Old Testament version of this. Luckily, it was on the brass plates and it's been restored in the Book of Mormon. So turn to Jacob chapter 5. And the one thing I would ask is that you count how many times he says, it grieveth me to lose the, the, the tree. It grieveth me. I don't want to lose you. I am not going to lose you. And I'm willing to do all sorts of things to not lose you. Now, tell me what kind of God this is. You tell me what kind of God your Heavenly Father has realistic, honest expectations of you. Ready? Now, this is after the whole thing went bad. Did he give up when the whole thing went bad? He started to work on it. As they, the good branch, the good fruit, as they begin to grow, ye shall clear away the branches with bring forth bitter fruit. According to the strength of the good and the size thereof. Don't clear away all the bad all at once. You will ruin the tree. Human beings don't progress that way. Learn that when you're a parent. That is not how humans progress. Don't rip out all the bad all at once. It doesn't work that way. You don't have enough strength for that. But as the good grows, you can slowly begin to pull away the bad. What kind of God is that? Now, allow me to... This God, okay? The God of Jacob chapter 5. And the God in your head are not the same God. And you need to change. Because this is who Heavenly Father is. Now, don't go too far and think that he's just going to be okay with all sin. You know that's not the case. But the mistake we make is we don't grant ourselves a probationary state. One more. Doctrine and Covenants 117. And I would ask that you memorize this one. I think this scripture is gold. It is one of the greatest contributions of the Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants section 117. Now, here's the situation. Oliver Granger was asked to stay in Kirtland and sell the property of the First Presidency after they all left because of the apostates. Now, is anyone going to pay top dollar for First Presidency property? 
Because the only people left are the people that hate the first presidency. Are they going to pay top dollar for the first presidency's property? Is Oliver Granger going to succeed in his task? He never will. So the Lord says, start in verse 12. I remember my servant Oliver Granger. And he remembers you. Verily I say unto him that his name shall be had in sacred remembrance from generation to generation forever and ever. Let him contend earnestly. And I think the application is here. I want you to try your very best. And when you fall. Did you hear that? When you fall you shall rise again why here's the doctrine your sacrifice shall be more sacred unto him than your increase that's heavenly father your sacrifice the number of times you get up and try again is far more important to God than how far you went. Now I guarantee all of us in our moments of anxiety are measuring, what are we measuring? We're, we're, we're measuring increase. We're measuring di distance. What's your biggest anxiety? I'm not where I should be because I fell. You're measuring what? Increase. And God doesn't measure increase. He is not measuring where you should be today. He's measuring the number of times you got back up. That is far more sacred to him than where you would be today had you not fallen. Oh, how I testify of him. That's your real heavenly father, not the one you've thought he is. He has granted you a probationary state. And when you fall, when you fall, get back up. Try it again because your sacrifice is far more sacred to him than your increase. I pray that you will understand two things. God has granted you a probationary state. God has realistic expectations for you. Now, number two, grant yourself one. Grant yourself a probationary state. At the risk of ruining the spirit, go get yourself a little lightsaber, a flaming sword. And every time Satan suggests to you that you have to be perfect, you get out your little lightsaber and you just wield it until he goes away. Get your own flaming sword. 
And you remember, every time you go to the temple and you hear that story about cherubim and the flaming sword, let it perk you up to say, wait a minute, do you see what God just did? He just granted me a probationary state. I am going to grant myself one. And I'm going to stop beating myself up because I fell. Because the truth is, I'm a whole lot smarter today because I fell yesterday. And I'm going to be a whole lot smarter tomorrow because I fell today. Be kind to yourself and be kind to other people. Be kind to your spouse. Be kind to your children. Grant them a probationary state. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.